Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new bracket America. America. Soccer new. Featuring person Talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to Soccer Noob Rocket America featuring you know who. Hello! Yeah, my 11-year-old daughter co-host Person Noob, the true star of the show. Together we are here to take you on a trek around the world for mini match previews from leagues and tournaments from any and every corner of the world. As long as the match is high stakes where it's being played, we are interested in it and we want to bring it to you. And that's what allows us to be different, I think, than any other podcast that you're going to find out there. This particular week, we are going to cover matches from Friday the 15th through Thursday the 21st. With no further ado, let's just jump right in with... March number one! Under the usual circumstances, I would make our Saturday feature match from Major League Soccer match number one as we work our way through the week in chronological order. But since we have a very special guest interview, Jonathan All from St. Louis Public Radio and our somewhat official St. Louis City uh, correspondent, we're going to save that towards the end. So we still start on Saturday. No Friday matches. We're probably quite bright and shiny enough to make our final cut of 10 from the main part of the show here. We start with the first of true trophy matches. Match number one comes from Iceland. The FA Cup final has arrived and on the line is an ECL berth. Let me unpack a little bit of that for our newer fans. Uh, in Iceland, just in like most every country, you have your league or leagues, obviously. And then you have something as well called the FA Cup, which is typically a bracketed knockout tournament. Think like the NCAA basketball tournament for those of you in the U.S. or who are familiar. And it's played in the calendar right alongside with the league play. And just like in league play, you can earn births to international competitions. So it is as well with the FA Cups. Uh, the ECL, European uh, Conference League, is the third best of the international club tournaments that you can get to. That's the best you can do with an FA Cup final. It is considered a little bit secondary to league play. Nevertheless, we're like squirrels. We like shiny things. Trophies are shiny more often than not. And so we are going to look at Vikinger Reykjavik versus a team that is simply abbreviated usually as KA, which is very helpful unless you're terribly familiar with Icelandic pronunciations, which I am not. Technically, this will be be at a neutral site, the National Stadium in Reykjavik, but only Vikinger of these two is from the capital, so sort of a default home game for them. And as is our tradition, we will talk about them first as the on-paper hosts as well. Uh, the full name would seem to be Nats Pirnu Fjallagi Vikinger, and that might be somewhat close, or there might be an, uh, yeah, it's got that D-looking thing with the funny-shaped, uh, looks like a cross between a lowercase D and a T on the end, but I do remember that that is uh, the E sound. Anyway, 
their crest is a very, very strange one, not just the name. I'm going to put this, uh, I'll have put this up on Twitter. I think that the old, the drawing of the big old leather soccer ball that they have on there looks far too much like a sphincter for my taste. It does not help the particular shade of brown that it happens to be in. You could look us up on Soccer Noob USA and let us know your thoughts if you are so inclined. And why wouldn't you be, quite frankly? Uh, they advanced over a team, abbreviated KR, in the semifinal and beat them soundly 4-1. They are the four-time event champions, and uh, that includes the last two straight. They also recently won the Best Adeled by 14 points. That is the top flight league in Iceland, and 14 is a lot because they only played 22 matches. And if you're wondering, while well, most of Europe is just sort of getting going this last month, well, the Northern European leagues have been playing throughout the summer, and the Icelandic one is already done. So, to that end, uh, Viking are have already, by winning their league, earned a spot in the Champions League. You can't go to that and the Europa Conference League. So if they win the FA Cup today, there will be uh, the number four team from league play, St. Yarnen, uh, and they will get the ECL burst. So they are going to be big Vikinger fans on this particular day. Internationally, uh, two seasons ago, 2022-23 in the Europa Conference League, this team advanced all the way to the third round uh, this past year, uh, the 2023-24 edition. They were in the same event, and they fell out in the first round. Taking a look at league play, do you know who the key players are? Tied for second best in league scoring with 11 was Bernier Snare Ingesen, who uh, technically lists as a defender, but you know a lot of those guys get some wingback action. He was also number one in goals and assists because he had seven of the latter, and he was considered, according to the FOTMOB app, uh, one I really enjoy, or FOTMOB, uh, the second best overall rated player in the league. The number one rated player in the league is also on this team, Pablo Pugnetti from Slovenia, or at least that's where he represents from. Don't know if he was born there based on the name, but he plays midfielder for them. And then defensively, we don't want to leave out Ingar Johnson, make mention of his 10 clean sheets, number three save percentage in the league, number one in shutouts. And while I don't know anything about him other than that he's there, we do have a USA connection with defender Kyle McLagan on this team. All right, and now KA, which is Nats Pernu Felagi uh, Akure. That is the A A K U R E Y R A R, but Akure, I'm pretty sure, is close. This is the fifth biggest city in the country and the biggest one outside of the capital or Reykjavik region. It's got about 20,000 people. Uh, it's got a, you know, like so much of Iceland, it's, it's a port city, big fishing for the economy. But the folk culture there is much, much more important culturally than in the capital. So if you're going on a vacation, I would definitely recommend a stop over there. They had a tougher time in the semifinal. It took added extra time for them to get past Breda Blick. They went to 3-3 and then penalty kicks as well. Uh, they beat them 1-3 in PKs. They finished the 2023 season only in seventh place. The league had divided in half the 12 teams and they won the, the bottom division. They were the best of the rest, finishing number seven. 
Uh, they were pretty average, both offensively and defensively. They were a little better on defense, but still gave up one and a third goals uh, per match. Keep in mind that the second half of that season, they were only playing teams in the bottom half. I have a feeling they will struggle defensively against the reigning league and event champions. Nevertheless, number one in league assists with 11 is Halgrimmer Mar Steingrimson, who plays left winger for them. He actually played for Vikinger in 2015, but on either side of that year, he is always spent his senior career here in Akure. Tied for number one in interceptions per 90 starter, two and a half per game on the dot is Bergier Baldwinson, a left back. And number three in saves per 90, he gets peppered. He's only number seven in save percentage. He's just got to try a lot. And that is Christian Jajalo. I wanted him, or Yayalo, I'm sorry. He's from Bosnia, so I got to make sure that's a soft yay, like yogging. Yeah, it's all the fat out on the West Coast, right, Ron Burgundy? Person Noob insists uh, she has procured a sponsorship for us. So even though our MLS feature matches are going to come up till match number 10, we now bring you another trailer for the third installment of a podcast, a uh, Wire-esque, I'm going to guess, uh, action-adventure, dark detective drama sort of thing from DC United player Donovan Pines. Yes, go ahead and play it, P-Noob. Today's episode brought to you by the new podcast, Intractable Pines. Follow Donovan Pines off the pitch as he delves into the seedy underbelly of black market Canadian maple syrup. On this episode, he's led by Gerard, a Quebecois man who takes Donovan into the underworld of smuggling, and he learns that it's more than just poutine payoffs. Instead, he finds a world of extreme violence, shattered dreams, and broken lives. Donovan is determined to follow the trail, though, to find out just where the sweetness ends. Uh, Canadian maple syrup. I am not convinced this thing is real, but I'll tell you what, I am going to try to search it out on my uh, finer uh, podcast platforms. I can see or hear anywhere because that show sounds like it might be really darn good, actually. Match number B. Goonies never say die. Number B, replacing number two in your daily lives. It's much more cooth, and you know why. Number two, yucky. Listen to the replacement in action. Match number B, I fibbed, or rather forgot, wasn't intentional. I said we were going to start with two trophy matches, and that is not true. I had been originally thinking that we were going to talk Copa do Brasil, the FA Cup final in Brazil It's going on, but there they play two matches home and away and add up the scores and aggregate to determine who is the winner. We will touch base for the second leg of that home and away two-legged tie next week. Match number B, we travel to an exciting match and event in Africa. The CAF, that is the African Confederation, their Champions League, which has reached the second of two qualifying rounds. This is the first leg of the home and away two-legged tie. They'll be playing home and away as well. The top 12 countries in this event by ranking their league associations each got to send two teams. Not the case for these particular two. I thought that the most interesting looking match of all those available was uh, Rail Bamako out of Mali versus Nawadhibu out of Mauritania. Let's check into why. Uh, Real Bamako out of Mali. Uh, by the way, uh, Bamako is the capital, and they are the Scorpions. Their league, the Premier League there, is ranked number 18 within the CAF. So pretty good, but not good enough to get two teams there. Uh, 
They advanced over a very good team from the 14th best league in on the continent, uh, Cameroon's Elite One. Uh, they advanced over Caton Sport, their champions 2-0 on aggregate, a very nice scalp to get. Domestically, this is a team that has won seven domestic league titles. 2022-23 was the first of the seven, or the most recent that they have won, I should say, in 22 years. Wow, quite a drought. In 1982, they made the quarterfinals of this event. That was the best they've ever done. Their last appearance was in 2018, and they fell out in the first preliminary round. Their 2023-24 season hasn't started yet, so to get an idea of who they are and how they might play, let's look at their season stats very briefly from 2022-23. Defense was good. Offense was excellent, at least as such things are uh, judged here. It's a very low-scoring league overall. Number one, all it took was a goal and a half on the dot per match, and that was good enough with their defense to help them to the title along with the second-best goal differential. They won their league by just three points over second place uh, Dijoliba. And now Noad Hibu. Uh, they are known as the Orange Club at Port City and they have a dolphin on their crest. Those things get up into the big rivers and giant creeks over there. Uh, this is the second biggest city that they are named after in the northwest part of the country. The metro area probably just a little bit shy of 150,000 but this is still the commercial center of the small country. Also as a uh, really niche tourists uh, might know people who are into this sort of thing. There is a huge ship graveyard all along the coast of this country with uh, well over 300 boats that have uh, that have been dragged there or were sunk there one or the other. All right, Mauritania's League One is tied for number 27 in the CAF. Uh, that puts them just a little bit below average, and they are tied for last place amongst those league associations that they bother ranking at all. In Africa, they don't rank about roughly the bottom 40%. Those teams just don't get enough international play to make that uh, really worthwhile or accurate, apparently. This team has won 11 straight league titles, in, uh, or 11 total, I should say, including six straight. And yet, for some reason, they've only been to the Champions League a couple times that I could find, and uh, asterisk on that lap part, that I could find. I mean, you know, we are in Mauritania. Uh, 2014 was the most recent one. Uh, they advanced last round over the number 11 CAF-ranked Libyan Premier League's champions, Al-Ali Tripoli, 1-2 on aggregate. So they were the underdogs as one as well. And, and now you know why I picked this particular one. Two teams that probably weren't even expected to get this far, and yet here they are vying for a spot in the group stage and event proper. Like their opponents today, the 2023-24 uh, league season hasn't started yet. Looking at their identity from last year, they ran away from the league as head and hid rather. They won by 19 points in 26 matches over number B uh, Chemal or Kemal C H E M A L, and they only suffered one loss in the whole regular season. Uh, they were number one all over the place, best goal differential by three and a half times uh, over anybody else. That is probably the most telling stat for them, and I suspect makes them the favorite on this particular day, even on the road. Match number three. We head to England for our third match, and this is one I'm embarrassed to have missed out on the last couple of weeks. This in and of itself is not a truly high-stakes match, but it comes from my personal favorite event, and a favorite for a lot of people from all over the world, the English 
FA Cup. Now, a lot of countries that's spending on the size might invite teams from just the top division or, you know, the top two, three, or four divisions. In England, leagues all the way down at the 10th level of the pyramid, incredibly amateur, if you will, get to take part at least in the qualifying rounds of this. You've got to win, oh, something like six qualifying rounds if you're down at level nine or 10 to be able to get all the way to the group stage where the Premier League teams enter the fray and what they call the event proper. But this is such a fun chance for us to look at teams that simply, you know, these are not from leagues that I follow. Nobody's got this many hours in the week to follow every league in the entire world top flight and all of these leagues way down the pyramid in a particular country. So they had their preliminary uh, qualifying round already, or I think they called the extra preliminary round. extra preliminary round and then the first qualifying round and now the second qualifying round and we're going to look at uh worcester city versus leak town worcester city now worcester uh name i'm sure you're familiar with from the sauce and not accidentally is in the west central part of the country city of about a hundred thousand and uh like the city they use uh they have a crest that has two what they call arms of alliance within their crest they have two separate shield crests leaning against against one another. One is a very ancient one for the town, and one is uh, was created in Elizabethan times. History buffs may know. There's a bit of folklore here. The historical figure Oliver Cromwell was said to have made his pact with the devil in very nearby Perry Wood. All right, footy-wise, the team is known as the Faithful, and they play in the Hellenic Football League. They had to enter all the way back at the extra preliminary round because they are in the ninth level. Uh, They advanced from the first qualifying round over fellow level nine team uh, Westfields. They'll be hosting that uh, this at their place that doesn't even probably hold quite a thousand people called Clains Lane. 1959, this team got their place in history. Uh, uh, Liverpoolians do not like them as they consider this one of their all-time greatest defeats. Uh, they beat Liverpool in this event in the third round before they went on and lost in the very next one. A little side note about their manager, uh, Chris Combs. He signed with Wolverhampton to start his playing career. So he is a known name among some Premier League fans, but he never appeared from then. He got loaned out to lower levels pretty quickly. Here in the uh, fairly early in their 2023-24 league season, they are in third place out of something like, oh, I don't know, 24 teams. These lower leagues are huge. And they have a match in hand on the top two. So they are looking like the best team in the league early on. And why not? They're very well balanced. Third best offense, getting over two goals per match. Second best defense, barely giving up a goal every other match on average. And now Leak Town, L-E-E-K, just like the milder version of The Onion. Uh, This is also in the west central part of the country, just to the northeast of Stoke, if that helps you with any geographical perspective. Small city of about 20,000. Due to an interestingly shaped uh, hill, this is one of the rare areas in the world where you get this geoastrological astrological phenomenon known as a double sunset. So it looks like it's set completely once and then it appears again and sets the second time. Pretty cool. 
As I mentioned, they too play in the ninth division. Their league, however, is a different one called the Northern Premier League Division One West. So even if they were to win their league and get promoted, they would still be within this overall league, although they would be up a level. They also had to enter all the way back at the extra preliminary round in the first qualifying round. Oh, I apologize. They're in the eighth level, not the ninth. And they advanced in the first qualifying round over level eight side Grimsby Borough 5-0. Uh, twice in the early 1900s, they reached the first and second qualify or not qualifying, but full rounds of this event. So they've had some success, but it's been a minute. Currently, they are in ninth place in their league, but they've played a little bit less in league than everybody else. Uh, their offense is very good, getting almost two goals per match. The defense has been their bugaboo. They're giving up almost uh, one and two-thirds goals per match, which is average at best for this particular level. So their goal differential is ninth. Now, the fact that they are up a level is meaningful, even down in this part of the pyramid. But I will say, given that they have to go on the road, that at the very least, I would not want to put money on this match one way or the other. I think it should be very exciting and competitive. Match number four. Europe, Africa, and now we head to a league in Conmebol, which is the primary South American confederation. Uh, the 10 large nations in South America are all a part of that, and we are going to look at a match out of Peru's Primera División. This is one of the South American leagues, uh, very common in the Western Hemisphere, that they divide their soccer year into two separate sort of mini-seasons or stages, Apatura y Clausura. This is the closing or Clausura stage. By the way, the Premier Division here is only ranked number eight out of the ten Conma Bowl leagues. Nevertheless, they get quite an allotment into their various international tournaments. The top two in the overall aggregate table for the year. Note that it is not the individual stage winners. They get to go to the Champions League. The stage winners are at least guaranteed to get to go to the Copa Sudamericana, which is the secondary tournament. So you have Champions League, Copa Libertadores, and then the Copa Sudamericana, their secondary one. They will also send four other teams, by the way, to the Copa Sudamericana. And they're about two-thirds of the way through this stage. Your matchup, as we like to do, it is a top two dandy. Number one, Sporting Cristal versus number B, Universitario de Deportes, the U. Uh, currently... They are tied, and uh, Sporting Cristal only lead them by five on goal differential. We're after only the highest stakes matches, and this is about as good as it gets. These two teams lead number three powerhouse Alianza Lima by just two points in the table. So nothing is guaranteed no matter how this goes. Very important points on the line. Worth noting, by the way, though, the Sporting Cristal have a match on hand in hand on both of them. So advantage Cristal. This is their first meeting this particular stage, these two teams. The series between them has very much gone in favor of Cristal in the past. Uh, they've gotten, uh, they've given as good as they've gotten twice over 10, 18, and 5 is their record over the last decade, probably. This is a big derby in the country. I didn't see like an official fancy nickname for it, but historically, uh, the Universidad de Deportes was basically a feeder team, not officially, but ended up working that way functionally for Sporting Cristal. So uh, there's a lot of competitive animosity here between these two. Sporting Cristal, they are known as uh, Los uh, Cereceros, which is the Brewers, and play out of the capital city of Lima. They have that nickname because they have been tied historically all the way back to their founding since 1967 with a giant brewery called Bacchus and Johnston Brewery. 
They have won 20 league titles. Last one was in 2020. They have made 34 Copa Libertadores appearances. Their best finish, they were runners-up back in 1997. Here in league play this stage, they are undefeated so far, largely thanks to the offense. They're the only team getting more than two goals per match on average. Defense is good enough that it means they have the number one overall goal differential. Top 10 in league scoring with a dozen on the full year is the singularly named Brazilian Brenter, Brenner, rather, who plays center forward for them. Team's current form, uh, well, a 1-1 draw that they had at number nine, Sport Boys, just snapped a three-match win streak. And now the U, Univer or La U, Universidad de Deportes, they also play out of Lima, have won 26 league titles of their own, but it's been a decade since the last one. Uh, they were also runners-up one time in the Copa Libertadores, but that was back in 1972. Last year they got to play in it, and they fell out at the second qualifying round. Currently in the overall aggregate table, just to make a note of it here, they are in third place, and they finished in third place in the Apertura. Their offense is pretty good, if not quite as good as the Brewers one, but their defense is top two. So they're gonna, if they can control the pace, they will try to keep it low scoring. They only give up a goal every other match or so on average, and they do have the second best overall goal differential. This is going to be a great at least three-way race all the way to the very end because Alianza, yeah, trust me, they're not going anywhere. Key player to look for, tied for number six in league scoring with 13 is Alex Valera, homegrown uh, center forward for them. And the second best in assists with nine is the right midfielder, Andy Polo. And yes, Major League Soccer fans, same guy. He was with Portland Timbers, I believe, just as recently as last season. Team's current form, well, they just beat last place Deportivo Municipal, and that snapped a three-match winless streak. I told you they are leaving the door open for Alianza. Do they want outside? Do they want fresh water? Well, yes, but more than anything, they want a recap of last week's matches and Kitty shall have their demands met. Last week, match number one was our featured MLS match. Uh, number nine in the East, D.C. United, played host to number eight from the Western Conference, San Jose. They played to a nil-nil draw. No change in the table for either of them. Match number B from USL League One, number six forward, Madison, played host to number seven, one Knoxville. Scoreless there as well. That was good enough to actually move forward Madison up to fifth place, however. The Lithuania FA Cup Final, that was our match number three, or excuse me, semi-final between second division, Transinvest Vilnius versus Juventus. Ugas, Telsiai, and we are going to have potentially a Division II team in the Europa Conference League next year because Transinvest Villainy has got the 1-0 win. Congratulations to them. Excitement time. Sunday, match number four from the NISA. Number six, Club de Leon here in the U.S. versus number seven, Flower City Union. And the Visitors City Union got a nil-three win out of that good road win for them. Match number five from the European Qualifying Event Group, stage number one, Finland took on number B, Denmark. Denmark, they got the nil one win. They stayed in second place. Slovenia won their final match. They moved up into first place. That leaves Finland out at number three. They will not be in the European Championships next year. Match number six from El Salvador's Primera División, the Apertura stage. We had Once Deportivo and then number three, Alianza FC coming to town. The two of them played to a 1-1 draw. No change for either of them. Tuesday, match number seven from the CONCACAF Nations League. Number 
26, Puerto Rico played number 20, Antigua and Barbuda. And I don't know if you want to call it an upset. Both have been around for years, but Puerto Rico got a 5-0 win. Ricardo Rivera that we said to look for as a key player had a brace, but it was Gerald Diaz's world and everybody else was just living in it. He had a hat trick of goals. Uh, Antigua and Barbuda is worth noting. They lost a player to a straight red in the 40th minute and then lost another to a second yellow in the 58th. By then, truth be told, most of the damage was already done. Match number eight from the AFCON group stage, Cameroon versus Burundi. Cameroon got a 3-0 win. Vincent Abubakar that we said to look for had a goal. Also a guy whose name I just liked, I want to point out. Christopher Woo! W-O-O-H. Yeah, woo! He had a goal. Wednesday, match number nine from the Welsh Premier League. Number four, Ballatown versus number one, TNS. They played to a nil-nil draw. A bit of a theme going for that. Both players lost. Uh, both teams lost players to straight reds in the 55th minute. Naughty. The tie was good enough to move Ballatown up to number three. Thursday, match number 10 from the St. Kitts and Nevis Premier League. Number three in the championship round, Village Superstars. They played host to number B, Connery United. Things were very, very tight in the game and in the table. Village Superstars got the 3-2 dramatic win. That moved them up to number one. It knocked Connery all the way down to number five. But there's three games left, and things can change very quickly in those championship-type divisions. And now your three bonus matches with explanations coming later. First, your ride of the week was a Monday match from the Colombian Primera A in the finalization stage. Number 20 in last place, Envigado took on number B, Rio Negro Aguilas. They they played to a 2-2 draw. No route after all. And Bogato's key player, uh, Gandhi Cuervo, had a goal for the Eagles. Marco Perez had one no change in the table for either of them. Uh, your most meaningless match in the world was a Wednesday match from Costa Rica's Premier Division, where they're in the Apertura stage. Number seven, Punta Reynas. And number five, AD Municipal uh, Liberia. And it was Punta Reynas getting the mild upset with a 1-0 win. They actually ended up switching positions. So they're still pretty meaningless. And now your most disappointed match in the world. Thursday, we stayed in Central America, went to the Liga Nacional, Apertura stage in Honduras, number nine, CD Victoria, played last place, number 10, CD Vida, and it was Vida getting the road upset one to two for uh, Victoria. Key players, Alexi Vega had a goal for Vida, Gabriel Teas had a goal. That moved Vida up to number eight and out of the relegation zone for the moment. Victoria moved down to number 10. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into the upcoming week's matches with... Match number five. Three confederations already. If you're jet-lagged, we'll take a little bit of a break from all that and stay here in South America for the last of our Saturday matches. Bounce on over to Ecuador. The top flight is the Serie A. It is a better league than the Peruvian one by reputation. Number four ranked in Conmobile. In this one, each of the two stage winners do automatically advance to the Copa, de, Copa Libertadores. The next two in the aggregate table overall will as well, although they will have to start in the qualifying rounds, not in the group stage. And they, too, will send four teams to the Copa Sudamericana. It's very early for them in their second stage. For some reason, they don't even call it Apertura and uh, Clausura. It's just first and second. And, you know, I guess dare to be different. 
Your matchup, number B, Mushuk Runa versus number three, Delphine. They are in part of a three-way tie with number one, LDU Dequito. They are three of the four undefeated teams so far here early on. Series between these two, uh, Delphine have had a slight advantage, accruing a 6-2-5 and five record over the last few seasons. When they played in the first stage this soccer year, Delphine won handily at home 3-0. But can they duplicate that sort of dominance at Mushuk Runa, which, by the way, is from the uh, Quechuan language for new man. And uh, Ponchitos is slang for the indigenous people. It's one of their nicknames, and their crest is very interesting. The silhouetted player looks almost like a boy, not even necessarily like a teenager, let alone a man. And something about the way he's positioned tells me that he's fooling around with the soccer ball, not really in an athletic pose, but he is silhouetted and yet has a very, very colorful what I would describe as probably an indigenous-made uh, type of shawl on. So you can take, you can see that they take a lot of pride in their ties to the historical indigenous community, which I think is really cool. The city that they play in is called Ambato. It is in the highest of the Andes Mountains here in this country, well, in a valley of those, and the city is carved right into one of those mountains. Just gorgeous. I saw some of the pictures. It's in the central part of the country. It has maybe 350,000 people. A lot of leather goods get made here and a lot of body parts, not overall automobile manufacturing, but a lot of uh, doors, uh, hoods, you know, major pieces like that. This is a club that was founded in 2003, and they won the Serie A B, the second division, in 2018. I don't know for sure that that is the first time that they were ever promoted up to Division One, but that seems to at least be implied in what I saw in my research area. In the first stage, they only finished in 15th out of the 16th. 16 teams, and they are currently in 11th place in the aggregate table. So it is win or bust for them in terms of getting into the Copa Libertadores. They would have a tough time probably even getting into uh, the top, I don't know, six or eight to get into the Copa Sudamericana at this stage without winning the stage. They are a well-balanced top three offense, top two defense, seven and two goal differential. Uh, on the scoring leaderboard for them on the year with seven is Diego Ledzima from Argentina. And now Delphine, which uh, translates to a dolphin, although it might be a porpoise on the crest. Couldn't quite tell. Uh, coincidence here, they play out of the city of Manta. I don't believe it has anything to do with Manta Ray. Uh, the city is in the west central part of the country. It is a port city. The largest port, maybe 250,000 people there. And if you've heard of Panama hats, it is not Panama from whence they probably came. The first ones were originally produced here in this country and still are. They also fish for a lot of tuna, almost exclusively. Funny-wise, this is a club that was in the second division as recently as 2007. Uh, they came back up to Division I 2017. I believe that's about the time they won their first title. And in the Copa Libertadores, they went on to get a very nice notch in their belt against Chilean historical powerhouse Colo Colo. That's an all-timer for a lot of clubs. In the first stage this year, they finished in seventh place. So while they could sneak in perhaps to the Copa Sudamericana with a strong finish, they really need to win the title probably to uh, earn their way into the Copa Libertadores as opposed to the Copa Sudamericana. They're in fourth place in the aggregate table right now. And on the stage, they have a 6-2 and two goal differential. Key player to look for from them is their Argentinian attacker, Brian Oyola. He has four on the year. Match number six. 
such a lot of tracking already halfway through the main 10. You deserve a respite. We're going to give you an extra long one. Not only are we not having any Sunday matches, we're not going to have any Monday matches either, although Sunday is the bigger surprise for that in terms of what made our final 10 and what didn't. Match number six is a Tuesday match. The AFC, that's the Asian Football Confederation, their Champions League group stage is starting. 40 teams, 10 groups of four playing a home and away double round robin. The winners from each group will advance automatically. And the best three number B finishers from both the East and West, so a total of six Second place finishers will also advance. I think the most interesting matchup, although it's really hard to tell since it hasn't started, is Kaya, just because I seem to be intrigued with the Philippines for some reason. Their league is starting to come up, rated number 15 overall in the AFC, I believe. They're going to be taking on a Chinese team called Shandong Taishan. All the Chinese teams seemed much stronger until about two, two and a half years ago when a lot of the sponsorship money got pulled out by league rule, and all of a sudden they have gone from being the number one Asian league to, well, let's just say nowhere close. But since the group stage is just starting and we'll be back to visit before too long when we know the stakes will be higher, this is a great chance for my daughter, my star, my 11-year-old co-host, Person Noob, to take over with her segment, Aminals, Aminals, Aminals from around the world. Oh, yeah. The Philippine forest turtle is a species of turtle endemic only to the Philippines that can be found in the islands of Palawan. Physical features of the species include its upper exoskeleton or its carapaces that have a brown or blackish color. Their carapaces can extend to a length of 8.3 inches. They also have a ginkgo-shaped vertebral scute and a white or yellow line crossing toward its head to behind its ears. It is a part of the subfamily Geomydinae of the Geomydidae family. The Philippine forest turtle's scientific name is Sibenrochula latensis, but it was first described as Heosemus latensis by American herpetologist Edward Harrison Taylor, who discovered these turtles in the area of southern Leyte. In the rediscovery of the species in 2004, its true geographical distribution was then confirmed to be from Palawan. Over the years since the rediscovery of the Philippine forest turtle, various reports have been made about the species. The principal report, however, is how it is now listed as critically endangered under the Philippine National Law Republic Act No. 9147 and included in the world's 25 most endangered tortoises and freshwater turtles. Match number 7 and right on into Wednesday, we march and for more Champions League action. This time, it is the granddaddy of them, the UEFA Champions League. The group stage or event proper is at long last, starting with football fans everywhere have been rooting for eight groups of four teams. Uh, the top two from each will advance after they each play their double round robin. I think the juiciest match coming up is going to be Sevilla versus Lentz, or at least most interesting because Lentz are the bottom seeded team of all those who have made it this far. You can see for your 
yourself, 3 o'clock Eastern Time here in the U.S., VIX Streaming for Spanish Language or Paramount Plus for English. We'll talk about Sevilla. They're hosting the first, and they play out of the city of Seville and specifically in uh, the district or suburb in the center of town, uh, Nervion, which means their nickname is like uh, Los Nervioenses or something like that, which is interesting because it makes it sound like it means the nervous ones, but no, they've got plenty of international experience, so I don't think they will be. Uh, this is the capital, by the way, of the Andalusian Autonomous Region of Spain, and the club is Spain's oldest club that is devoted exclusively to football. No multi-sports stuff going on here, just footy all the time. Here in the modern era, which is basically about the last oh, uh, 25 to 30 years, they have never been past the round of 16 in this event. Uh, 2020-21 was the last time they got that far. That's tied for their best. They are the sixth-ranked club by UEFA coefficient left alive in this event. They qualified by winning last year's Europa League. Yes, when you play one of the lower ones in Europe, you get a chance to earn your way up no matter how you do in league. Good thing for Sevilla, too, because they did not have a good league season. They finished below average, only in 12th place in La Liga, the second-rated league in all of Europe. There are only three matches into the new season, but it's kind of hard to ignore a, you know, 0-0-3, oh, oh, and 5-8 uh, goal differential. That defense, woof. And they haven't even played any of the big giant teams either, and two of their matches were home losses, so they are not in terribly good form. Nevertheless, their MVP on the very early season so far, my opinion has been their right winger, Spaniard, singularly named Suso, S-U-S-O. He's got an assist already, really good dribbler. Uh, you know, he's a good engine for the offense, so at what little they've managed so far this year. Five goals in three games, actually, isn't all that bad. He was on here he was here, rather, on loan from Milan last year, but now he is here under full contract, not with Milan any longer. Started his senior career with Liverpool. So this is a guy who's been on a lot of people's radar for a long time. And now Lentz, they've got to be licking their chops, saying, aha, we got a lucky draw, maybe getting, you know, Sevilla not being a good form. Of course, what we're going to find out is Sevilla probably are feeling the same way. Now, Lentz, that is a city in the far north central part of the country. Uh, the town itself only has about 25,000 people, but it's part of a conglomeration, a string of towns there along the north central coast that is much, much larger. And they are known as the blood and gold based on their colors. Again, the lowest rated team left in the event, and actually by quite a bit. 1999-2000, uh, they made the now Europa League, it used to be called something else, semifinal, best they've ever done. And that international appearance preceded what might have been their only ever top flight league title. They qualified by finishing in second place uh, to PSG last year in League One and a distant second at that. Uh, currently in the league, they are just in 17th of 18 after five matches with a 4-11 goal differential. Both these teams are giving up well over two per game. Could be a shootout. Their MVP of the season so far, I believe, has been Florian Sotoka, a French attacking midfielder who already has a goal and an assist. This is going to be really key. I don't think either of these teams is informed to finish in the top two, but if either of them can snag a full three points out of this first match, well, then anything is going to go in what could be the Wild West, so to speak, of all the groups over there in the Champions League in Europe. Match number eight. Our other Wednesday match takes us to the women's side of the ball here in our region. The CONCACAF women are having 
their first Gold Cup. And this is actually the qualifying event. Uh, the group stage is just starting. Now, a lot like a nation's league, whether CONCACAF or uh, European, there are multiple leagues within the event. League A, there are three groups of three, and the winners of each of them will advance. In League B, there are three groups of four. The winners of the League B groups will go on to a playoff to face the League A group second-place finishers. League C, None of the teams are eligible to advance. It has been determined they would just be too overwhelmed, I suppose. And so this is sort of a standalone tournament for them. We are going to look ever so brief. Well, actually, we're really not going to look at it. I just want to familiarize you with the event. We'll get into it in more detail in coming weeks. Uh, the most interesting looking match, I think, would be Dominica versus Suriname out of League B, because Dominica is the lowest seeded team within CONCACAF in League B. Therefore, the quote unquote worst team that could hypothetically advance to a playoff and even into the Gold Cup proper next year. But this is the time of show where longtime listeners will know that Noob's tummy gets a little rumbly. Time to take a culture break. I consider talking about the Boiling Spring, the famous one of Dominica, because it is an island country that is still actively volcanic and physically growing. But no, we are going to do food because just a few years ago, they changed national dishes. I don't recall what the old one was, but it involved a now protected animal or at least protected part of the year. So, the new official food, as I understand it, is kalaloo, which is by and large a soup in Dominica. By the way, don't confuse it with the Dominican Republic. Uh, this is the uh, pretty much south and uh, easternmost, I would say, of the Windward Islands, way out in the Caribbean. So, kalaloo, uh, there are a number of different spellings for it. I'm going to guess there are m- multiple pronunciations. I'm going with kalaloo. If you happen to be familiar with this, please don't be offended if I'm saying it differently than you. I will skip the uh, recipe instructions for this particular variety. You can make it with a lot of salted different meats, whether uh, aquatic or not. But the one we're going to look at involves boiling crabs. I believe they, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced... Uh, uh, Siracique or Sirique, but there is a special kind of river crab that most commonly gets used down in Dominica. The recipe that I've gotten is from a gal in San Francisco, actually, and she was perfectly fine using uh, their famous Dungeness crabs. So take what you can get when it comes to crabs, uh, especially because even if you can get them, the uh, uh, the native Dominica crabs are apparently have incredibly uh, well hooked and sharp. Uh, you know, uh, pincher. So you want to be careful with them. All right, your instructions for this particular soup. You're going to boil crabs in a big pot with some salt and just a little bit of garlic. Uh, remove the crab backs and clean the crabs. Separate the legs, the pinchers, and the ribs later on to add to the soup. Uh, then you're going to wash and peel the outer skin from dashin, which is basically a more localized Caribbean word for uh, a taro root leaf or maybe even tania. Basically, a root vegetable leaf is what you're looking for. Oh, yes. And in fact, the recipe I'm looking at makes specific notes of, of tania leaves as a specific substitution. Chop them up, whichever ones you have, and boil them in three cups of water. Uh, add a half a tablespoon of salt. If you're using spinach, and there is something called water spinach, which comes recommended, uh, you know, go ahead and chop those up. And then onion, chive, and garlic, chop those as well. 
Add oil to a large pot on medium heat. Then stir in your onion, plus celery and garlic, to the heated oil. Saute these for about three minutes. Then you're going to pour in the allotted amount of coconut milk. I won't spend too much time on amounts. You can Google up a recipe if you decide to make it. Um, so pour in the coconut milk and the rest of your water into the pot. Now is when you will add your dasheen or tania or spinach leaves. And then hopefully you have this kind of tool. You want to use a handheld or it might be called an immersion blender and pulse the leaves uh, mixture in the pot for about 15 seconds. Doesn't take long. Then you're going to add thyme and hot pepper. Oh, I love anything with a hot pepper to it. Then you add the dumplings that you will have pre-made or gotten. Add the boiled crabs. Season with the remainder of the salt and black pepper. And then let nature do its work, so to speak. Cover the pot and let it simmer for about 45 minutes. Once it is cooked, it can be served by itself. Or you can serve it with white rice or uh, with a really hearty bread that I saw on the side. It was very uh, pale, yet clearly a whole grain bread. Now, depending on what you find, again, you will find... Uh, pork, chicken, a variety of other meats can be used with kalaloo. It is a uh, common name for a variety of dishes, but this crab one sounded, oh, so particularly appealing to me today. Match number nine. Our last two of the main ten here are Thursday matches. We're off to the CONCACAF Caribbean Cup, which is a feeder tournament to the CONCACAF Champions Cup, which is our, our version of a Champions League over here in our confederation, CONCACAF being North America, Central America, and the Caribbean sub-regions. The top three finishers of this event in the Caribbean will all get to go to the Champions Cup. Uh, the teams here have been divided into two groups of five. They're only going to play a single round robin, and the top two from each group will advance. Matchup we're going to key in on uh, number five, last place Dunbeholden out of Jamaica versus number B, Robin Hood from Suriname. Uh, Dunbeholden have played two matches so far, by the way, and Robin Hood have only played one. And yet it is Robin Hood in second with the three points after their first match. All right. First, the Jamaicans Dunbeholden. I wish I wish I could find out. I've tried before and did so again to find out just what that name means. Can't come up with anything. Uh, they play out of the city of uh, Spanish Town which is just a dozen miles or so outside the capital city of Kingston. Uh, it actually was the capital from uh, early mid-1500s all the way till right about 150 years ago. And something they are known for, history buffs may be aware, uh, Spanish Town is home to one of the four oldest Anglican churches in the world outside of England. That's likely why one half of the crest seems to have a, uh, a priest or preacher's hands folded. And he's clearly, I think, wearing some sort of ecclesiastic robes. The place they play in is, has a really fun name. It's called the Prison Oval because from the nearby prison, I believe St. Catherine's, you actually get a pretty decent view of most of the field. So it's uh, popular to be able to watch some of the games there if you can. The CONCACAF club rating is just number 131. They are the second lowest of the ranked clubs in this event. Uh, they gained promotion to Division One in 2018-19, so uh, their success is all pretty new. They qualified by finishing in second place in 2022 in the Jamaica National League. Jamaica, by the way, sent three teams to this event. Jamaica's National League is ranked number 10 in all of CONCACAF and number one in the Caribbean. Just this particular club hasn't done enough winning to be any higher than they are in the overall club rankings. Uh, 
Now, they qualified, as I said, out of the 2022 season. The next year is already completed, the 2022-23 season. Yes, it's a different year. Uh, they switched things up in the calendar, and they finished in sixth place. Uh, their defense was really uh, lacking. They were giving up almost one and a quarter goals per match in a league that isn't all that high scoring. Uh, you know, top half offense, though. Top 10 scorer for them to keep track of with eight goals on that year was Stephen Barrett. And now Robin Hood, which, by the way, is all one word for some reason. They are a professional club. I don't know if the whole league is in Suriname, but I know that these folks are. They play out of the capital city of Paramaibo. Five times in the 1970s and 80s, they were runners-up in the CONCACAF Champions League, obviously. The landscape was a little bit different then. Their last appearance, I believe, was in 1994. Uh, they qualified for this event by winning a different feeder tournament. That was the CONCACAF Caribbean Shield. And that is for leagues that are primarily amateur or kind of trying to work their way up. So if you were one of the top two in that event, you got to move up to this one. If you're one of the top three in this event, you get to move on to the biggest one, the CONCACAF Champions Cup. There we go, clear as mud. Anyway, uh, the Suriname Eerste DVC, yes, that's from the Dutch, is unranked in uh, CONCACAF. They only rank the truly professional leagues, of which there are only like 14. I believe that they have already qualified for the next uh, Caribbean Club Shield. Uh, they won the 2023 league season by 15 points, which is a lot over over a team that is the historically greatest one, at least in recent years, uh, Intermengo Tapo. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! And now, as promised, we jump back in time to Saturday. The only one that we're not doing chronologically, we wanted to save the best for last. Our Major League Soccer matchup is going to be St. Louis and Houston. St. Louis won when they played earlier in the season 3-0, by the way. And these are two of the very best teams out west. St. Louis, your expansion club, are still in first place. What an amazing start to soccer or this iteration of soccer in St. Louis. I know they've had plenty before. Now, in Major League Soccer, the conference winners, East and West, they will get to go on to the CONCACAF Champions Cup, plus the next best two teams overall in the aggregate table betwixt the conferences. This is not the only way that these clubs can get into the CONCACAF Champions Cup, but that is uh, the number and how high they have to finish to get in from regular season play. They're about three quarters of the way through the season. This particular iteration, you can see at 8.30 Eastern Time in the U.S., Apple TV with Major League Soccer Pass. And now let's check in with our St. Louis SC correspondent, Jonathan All from St. Louis Public Radio for an in-depth dive into this match. And here he is, Mr. Got his first MLS experience under his belt ready, Jonathan All. Jonathan, how are you? I'm brilliant. I'm absolutely brilliant. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. Now, are you coming up to us from uh, the Rolla Bureau headquarters tonight, or are you? Oh no, I'm. I am back. I am back in St. Louis, and uh, once again, I have a hotel room where, if I crane my neck uh, a little bit around the view, I can see a glimpse of City Park, where uh, St. Louis City SC plays their games, and I can tell you that I have been to a match now. That's right. When we last talked to you, there was a matchup coming. Uh, which one did you see? I saw City SC play Dallas uh, in a midweek uh, event uh, out at the, the stadium. And uh, I, it was 
in so many ways, it was so wonderful. And in so many ways, it was some of the most difficult soccer I've ever had to watch. <laughs> um, so uh, Dallas somehow um, managed to get a red card on a goalie handball outside of the box uh, in a, somewhere around like the 12th or 13th minute. And what was to follow was just a clinic on parking the bus. Uh, <laughs> Dallas made the decision that there was no way they were going to win and they were just going to make it impossible for a uh, city to score. And so they, 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 they parked the bus like you would not believe. Even though and, at that point they're without a goalkeeper. Well, no, I mean, they had a goalkeeper. They, they had to, uh, they had to sub out oh, one of their a, other yeah, players. Substitution. Yeah. But yeah. The lost, they lost they're, their main guy. Yes. They're on their, their back backup goalie at this point at their backup keeper um and uh and really it, it it what followed was 70 some minutes of some of the most painful wa- soccer to watch uh, especially when you were up a man and your team can't find a way uh to 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 score it was very very difficult but then in the 82nd minute um a uh, a, a relatively new addition to city sc um, a, uh, a defender by the name of Markanic uh, came in. Or he he, uh, he managed to score, which is absolutely beautiful. Uh, uh, so we took a one nil lead, and then a little bit later, uh, the Icelandic uh, midfielder striker uh, Thorson, uh, who was playing in Belgium before uh, City signed him in the transfer window, uh, he scored as well. So then we went up two nil, and there was much jubilation. Uh, then Dallas managed to somehow squeak in a goal in stoppage time to make it two one, which made it feel a little less of a a, a, a perfect victory. But St. Louis won two one in my first appearance at an MLS match of any kind, and uh, we we had an absolute blast. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, who is um, the we sat. Uh, a coworker of mine. Uh, what was really cool was um, uh, a guy that I knew from uh, some places I lived in the past had season tickets, couldn't use them. He gave them to me, and I went with a coworker. And, and we were in the supporter section, and I, so I'm going to reveal some things that might completely uh, reveal just how much of a newbie I am to the in-person, high-level soccer experience. Um, I knew that in the supporter section uh, that you, that you were going to stand the whole time, that you were not going to be seated. What I didn't realize was you can't sit down. No, there because, are no seats, are there? <laughs> well, no, th- there are seats, but they have these devices on them that that lock them in the upright position. And I think they, I, and I think they're, ten- I think you can take them off for for some other events if they ever want to do that, but. Uh, you can't pull the seats down. So you pay for a seat to stand in front of, um, which means that you can't even sit down like in halftime uh, for any reason. So um, I, I, I don't know that that my body is at a, a point where, you know, standing for four hours straight hours is always the best thing. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it worked out OK. Um, I will say the, the 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 food at City Park was amazing. They've done a really good job of having it all be local uh, vendors who have a presence other places in the city. Uh, I had a beef, I had a beef kebab, which was absolutely amazing. 
Um, and then I also had a, a few beers from a local uh, brewery and no, not Anheuser-Busch. While this is still definitely a, a Budweiser town, that is not the, the local brewery in question. So, no, it was it was a, it was just it was a it was a lovely time. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. The place was sold out. City Park holds about 20,000 people. So it, it's, there were a lot of people there, but it still felt pretty intimate. And the place was just rocking the whole time. It was, I can't wait to go again. Now, this was a, uh, you know, with school having started, I have to think, uh, plays a tiny bit of a role. You say sold out. Did it, did it feel like a sold out game or is it that they sold <laughs> all season tickets and the place was like, oh, no. Oh, no. It was, I, I, I could not see an, an, any empty seat from where I was looking around the stadium. I just did not see, I did not see empty seats. This was one one wonders for a weekday game. You Uh, can understand uh, if it might've gone a little differently, but I'm glad it didn't. Does your coworker uh, that she went with know anything about footy? Oh, definitely. So he, he's been to actually, it was good that I went with him because he had been to other city SC games. So he was good at uh, helping me, you know, with little things like, the tricks of, you know, make sure that you order your food and your beer on the mobile apps, because then you can just walk up and get it. You don't have to stand in line and uh, you know, and, and the best gate to enter and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was good to to go with someone who is knowledgeable uh, about the team, but also uh, about the, the game day experience. So that, that helped a lot um, as well, that's, but no, it was, it was, it was a like fabulous time. Just that much more fun when you're, when you're comfortable, that means everything. Yeah. As, as mostly as an aside, so I, you know, I had such a good time and um, I wanted to go back to City Park, uh, but getting tickets are very expensive and it, it's all on the secondary market at this point. Um, but it turned out that this past weekend, the U.S. men's national team had a friendly against Uzbekistan um, in St. Louis. And my wife and I went to that. So, you know, oh, the tickets were really. Yes, That's marvelous. I had no idea that was coming up. I knew, of course, about the league game you were going to. Yes, uh, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. I, I I decided that Friday night and said, well, let's see what tickets are available. There were still good tickets available. Now, they did sell uh, attendance of that was about 15,000, uh, again, out of a stadium that holds 20. So it was pretty well attended. Yeah, my understanding it was a f- is USMNT tickets tend to be very expensive, and that keeps them from selling out a lot of places. Well, I can tell you that I got two tickets in the second row of the upper bowl um, at, at one end uh, for 35 apiece. Oh, wow. That doesn't sound too bad. Now, to put that in perspective, um, the uh, the next game, that uh, the uh, St. Louis City game that I want to see that I'm not going to be able to uh, when they're playing uh, Sporting KC, a big cross-state rival, uh, the cheapest tickets I've seen for that are 150. Wow! So, yeah. so that is top. how much of a markup is that? Do you have any idea? Since it's all you big? know, I don't know. Actually, I don't know because I, I, I mean, I, I definitely when I'd been following City SC a little bit, and I decided that this was a team that I was going to start following. But by the time the uh, by the time I really started thinking, yeah, okay, let's try to make plans for a game. All the individual game tickets had already been sold, um, yeah. and you know, it just the the waiting list for season tickets here is like three times as many as they they sell. So it's the, the demand here is just so high. Uh, but I mean, that gives you a perspective. Now, it was fun to see the U.S. 
men's national team. Uh, you know, I, uh, I I got to see uh, Pulisic score a goal. It's great. That was a good time too. Not nearly as fun as the City SC game, um, but <laughs> little but higher stakes. Good. Little higher stakes. Yeah. Pulisic is not trying to earn a spot on the USMNT. So, yes, that's true for sure. And and, and actually, Uzbekistan is you know there weren't a lot of, of of available opponents due to all the various continental nations leagues going on. So you had to kind of go mid tier Asia or bust. I'd also say that the U.S. really should have won that game. I mean, they won three nil, but it probably should have been closer to six or seven nil. Um, yeah, which is I think what they went it. on to beat Oman by later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they, they, and I mean, don't get me wrong, the Uzbeks did well by themselves. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, poo-poo on their performance because they, 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 uh, they made some chances and they, they looked good at times. Um, but really, if you know, if you are gauging your national team and prepping for how well are they going to do in the next World Cup, it was definitely a not the level of performance you want to see. Although Berhalter, it was his first game back after being rehired as coach, um, so you know, I think there's definitely some uh, some gelling that that squad has to do. Sure, having the guys play together in different combinations, I'm sure was. More of the point, Uzbekistan was going to be much higher rated than Oman. At least you got to see the better of the uh, two of those. I know that uh, Uzbekistan's league, before they uh, reconfigured the coefficients in the Asian Football Confederation, had jumped well into the top 10. So by Asian standards, they are up and coming. But, you know, that's still a team that, you know, USMNT uh, should have. And it sounds like did relatively dominate before we uh jump back into st louis i want to ask about your other team the team that you were a part owner of afc (laughs) wimbledon how are they doing oh boy okay so they uh they they lost their first league game uh in their last contest um and uh so they are still kind of i think they're like eighth or ninth in the table uh, so you know they they uh, on this young season they are two wins four draws and one loss. Uh, so you you know in a lot of ways they're looking pretty good, uh, but they had some key injuries in the midfield, um, and I think that's why we lost this last game. So uh, hoping that either our midfielders reason will get back on the pitch quickly, or uh, we're able to come up with maybe a new form or tactic to use the backup midfielders that we have in a better way uh, to make sure that uh, we don't go on a big losing streak, but yeah, 10 points uh, and 10 points in eight games is not terrible. It's not going to uh, get you promoted out of uh, uh, the bigger, the, you know, those, those big leagues in England, they have so many teams in the championship and league one and league two. 24. Remind, me, yep. remind us please. Which one is AFC Wimbledon? In? Wimbledon is in league two. <laughs> Uh, of the uh, of the football uh, pyramid in England, uh, and really going into the season, uh, they're generally considered to be a mid-table team. So so far, they have outperformed expectations. Um, I don't think promotion is in the cards this year, uh, but uh, I think they are capable of, uh, of of mid-table or maybe uh, you know maybe if if things just come together perfectly maybe they could squeak into the last playoff spot. Yeah, I was going to say, there. Uh, I assume it's like a lot of the other leagues, two teams will get auto-promoted, and then will it be four or six teams that make the playoffs in that league, the promotion playoffs? 
Um, I believe it's three get promoted and then four play in the oh, really? for okay. the last spot. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of back and forth between League One and League Two. Those t- those leagues are are they they definitely uh, want a lot of movement back and forth to try to increase the competition levels there um like to get into like to get out of there are only two relegation spots at the bottom of league two so getting into league two is really hard and in england that's a big deal because uh the the fifth tier uh, which is called the national conference that is predominantly part-time players and then when you get into League Two, then you're full-time players. Yeah, I was going to so, say, League, uh, judging by the Wrexham show, it sounds like that's sort of a semi-professional overall. Maybe some of the teams have some guys that are getting paid enough to actually live on. But once you get up into the fourth tier, the second lowest of the uh, professional or semi-pro leagues, that's when you start to get national in scope and the teams start to see at least a little bit of a national TV deal money. And that's a really big difference. Yes, definitely. Um, And, and the other thing about being in league two, you know, any of the top four teams is that then your access to cups is a lot, you know, uh, is, 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 is significantly different. So there, you know, you can make a deep cup run and, and make some money. And like, so Wimbledon uh, we did pretty well, and ended up uh, uh, beating Coventry City, which is a, a championship uh, uh, league team, in the first round. And in the second round, we played at Chelsea. Um, and, uh, you know, to play for Wimbledon to play a Premier League team uh, is a huge deal. Uh, we lost 2-1, which was totally fine. Lads played incredibly well. But, I mean, just to put the finances in, in, in perspective here um, – our 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 percentage of the gate for that Chelsea game is uh, estimated to be about three hundred thousand pounds. I'm going to guess that's uh, that's like when the Akron Zips used to go play uh, Nebraska in college football <laughs> here in the states. That's what they called the budget maker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, so really, uh, you know, if half of that that uh, money that was not expected can go help pay down a little bit more of our stadium debt. And the other half could be used in a transfer window, maybe the January transfer window to uh, bring in uh, a good player. You know, I mean, 150,000 pounds is a pretty big transfer fee uh, for Wimbledon to be paying. So that, that just getting to that game, drawing Chelsea um, and, uh, and and showing up and, and doing well, that was a huge boost for the club, without a doubt. Those are high times, Will. We root for the uh, here in New Bike Country. We certainly root for the Fighting Wimbles. I'm pretty sure I have their their nickname right. The the, uh, the <sighs> battling the no, it's the battling Wimbles. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna let that one ride. Uh, come on, you Dons. <laughs> oh, I was on the wrong end of it. That's yeah. of the word. That's fine. All right, back to St. Louis. Now, when I yes. uh, when I first uh, wanted to interview you for this particular one as our correspondent, it was actually the upcoming. Uh, LAFC game uh, this weekend uh, that I wanted that I wanted to discuss, but then once we agreed to it, I realized you know what their matchup coming up on the weekend sooner is nearly as good and maybe more important in some ways. And so let's focus on the Houston game to start 
Although we'll start off talking with St. Louis. Uh, injuries have been a really big deal, particularly on the offensive end. That is not something that we track on this particular show. How how are St. Louis looking these days in that regard? Well, Yao Klaus, our, our uh, massive striker who had uh, five goals in, his, in some assists in his first eight games before getting injured and being injured for months, is back. He started. Um, this last game, uh, and uh, and he played pretty well. So uh, that is definitely uh, a, a good sign. Uh, actually, from a health standpoint, everybody is back and everybody is available to play, eh, mostly. Uh, one of our other strikers, Giacchini, suffered a shoulder injury, but he was listed as available um, in this last game, and he is projected to be available uh, against Houston, so that's good. Um, the other if everybody else is back, doesn't sound like they'll need him necessarily. But well, uh, I wish. So, unfortunately, um, in our uh, our last game, uh, which was uh, a draw against LA Galaxy, uh, which is just maddeningly frustrating. Uh, Sam Adenarin, who I've talked about on this show, uh, one of the strikers, uh, was called for a handball. Um, and uh, and uh, LA Galaxy was given a penalty. And in my uh, in my opinion, it was and not to use a scientific term, a complete bullshit call. <laughs> um, clearly, the rules say that if your hand is tucked in and it is inadvertent, it is not a handball. And that is exactly what happened. But for some reason, they gave him the penalty. So, and then uh, LA Galaxy was able to convert, and then it went to 2 1. Well, then Adenarin did about the dumbest thing that he possibly could have done, and that was went in on a hard tackle, got a second yellow, uh, you know, for a red card, and then we played down a man uh, for the rest of the match. LA Galaxy, which is just, they're just not a good team, no, uh, was able not. to. That was able to score, and we ended up with a draw, which was just very painful. That should have been three points. Um, and the combination of a horrible call and then Adenarin making a really stupid mistake. Um, so Adenarin will be not will not be available uh, during against Houston, not because of injury, uh, but because of um, him making a very very poor choice. One game suspension for that. New bites who are newer to the game, and then he can come back against LAFC. I noticed yeah. that Adenarin has moved into the. Uh, he was the first guy I was going to ask you about. Uh, he has moved into the top three in the league in goals per ninety. Is, is he yeah. still on a? Is he still starting pretty regularly, or just semi regularly, or you know what's his role with the team really been? That's really difficult to answer because Bradley Carnell, uh, the manager, has been uh, very, very uh, good about moving pieces around. And uh, especially with Klaus is out as long as he was, uh, you know, they, they experimented with a lot of different forms, sometimes playing two up front where Adenarin would be up there with Giacchini, uh, sometime with one up front, and sometimes that was Adenarin, and sometimes it was Giacchini. Uh, so there were, there isn't an easy answer to say how much has he been playing. Here's the thing I like about Adenarin is he's tall, he wins headers, um, and he is also fast, and he can get on the ball and make stuff happen. And, you know, I think that, that you put all those together, and that's like definitely what you want up front. 
Um, I think he's better when he's part of two up front, uh, be it with Giacchini or with Klaus. Uh, but uh, he's he's really I've I've been high on this guy ever since they brought him back from alone uh, and, and been playing him. I think he looks great. I wish he had made a better decision. Maybe there's some maturity issues that are still going on there, but I, I'm still really bullish on this guy. Well, I mean, a lot of, first of all, stuff, you know, the road, the road is always challenging in a variety of ways, uh, you know, glass half full. You got a point on the road and no matter who you're playing on the road in major league soccer, that tends to be pretty tough. And, you know, d- judgment and decisions, things like that. When you're talking about at game speed, I think you have to allow for, you know, you have to give a certain amount of leeway to stuff. You know, stuff's going to happen sometime. Uh, I do want to ask about one t- particular player when it comes to judgment, just to see if this means anything or if I'm just causing ripples for no particular reason. Uh, St. Louis has a Canadian left back named Kyle. Is it Hybert or Hebert? I'm assuming he- Hebert. He Hebert. is the only player in Major League Soccer who has conceded not one but two, but three penalties on the year. <sighs> is, yeah. Is he lacking judgment in general, or am I making too much of that one particular stat? I think what's going on with Hebert is that he has been playing out of position for the entire season. They have been playing him. Um, I mean, he's, he's a center back. He's a center back, and that's where he ought to be playing. Uh, but they have better choices. But maybe more importantly, when you look at their back four, they really have struggled. I just don't think the, the, the biggest roster deficiency is they don't have true left back and right back or wing backs. Uh, you know, I, that is where I think their biggest deficiency is. And they've been playing Hebert out, out there and, and a lot. And, and when he does that, I don't think he looks good. And I, I don't think I think he's playing out of position. Um, and I think that that has been what's going on with Hebert, in my opinion. Um, if if I was uh, uh, if I was Bradley Carnell and Lutz Fenestal, uh, who's who are running the club, I, I would hope that they would be looking at finding uh, real, true left and right backs uh, to complement Nielsen and Parker, who are just both amazing center backs. Um, that would be a, a roster thing. I would hope that they would look at the future. So I, I, that's my take on what's going on with Hubert. Very cool. Okay. Another question about the offensive end. I don't, this isn't a name you've mentioned before. And I might've in one of our uh, previous discussions, uh, Celio Pompeo out of Brazil. Yeah. Uh, he is not a starter, but nope. he seems to be very good at keeping possessions alive, dispossessing players, you know, in, in St. Louis's offensive third, is there a growing role for this guy or am I just looking at too many things on paper and kind of overstating his case? I would say that for the rest of this season, he's probably not going to be a factor, but I think, you know, in next season or the one after perhaps um, I don't, I, I think there are just a lot better options right now. I think that there is a lot of raw talent there. I think the numbers that you're seeing are kind of the, um, you know, the, 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 the product of, and I don't want to take anything away from his talent, but I think it's the product of uh, very well uh, positioned subs at the right time against the right opponents where he can have an impact. Gotcha. So he, um, he is not a budding starter. He is simply getting put in into the right uh, situations like a baseball reliever sort of. 
I, you know, I, he could be a starter. I mean, I don't, I mean, not this year, uh, but you know, in the future, he certainly could be. I mean, I think there's a lot of raw talent there. Not, not um, a role they're envisioning for him down the stretch though, here this season. Oh, I would, I would say definitely not. I think he'd impact sub is how I would, uh, I would qualify him. How do you feel about this road trip heading to Houston? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I, I hate this. I hate it. I hate it. I, I have, I mentioned that I hate it. Um, well, you want to hate it some more. I can tell you that they are, uh, uh, they, they just had a, a, a nil, nil draw at the galaxy. Uh, that's yeah. And that was their free. Yeah. That snapped yeah, a four the- match win streak. And according to my yep. notes over this streak, they have a 13 to one goal differential and they've yep. only lost once since mid July. Yes. Um, and they are playing great, and City St. Louis is not playing great right now. Um, Houston's got uh, this guy Corey Baird. Um, he has been hot lately. He has been uh, he 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 is definitely uh, the goal scoring threat that has made the most amount of noise in their last uh, four or five matches. He is the guy that I am I am uh, scared of. Um, they also have uh, another uh, forward uh, forward midfielder type, uh, Amine Bassi, who has been he has been a little bit chilly lately. Yeah, attacking midfielder still, who I know started hot. Yeah, he started hot, but I mean, look, I, he I, I think he's still got uh, a lot in his locker that he could bring out uh, at any time. Um, I, you know, I, I uh, it's gonna. I, I hate myself for saying this, but I will say right now that I think Houston wins that match three one. Um, and if if St. Louis can limp out of there with a draw, I will be ecstatic. Road draws are just fine, especially. I mean, this is a team that's second best in the West in defense. Now, I know their goalkeeper Steve Clark. He's a veteran, so he directs things well. Uh, yep. He's got a lot of clean sheets, but I'm not that impressed with him. He's near the bottom of the league in save percentage. It really is the defensive line in front of him and the way that he directs them. How do you see St. Louis trying to break them down? You know, I don't think you're going to see anything new from St. Louis at this point. Um, I think that, that they are still, their bread and butter is still going to be the counter press. Um, I think that, that um, you know, now that Klaus is back, he's he's such a, um, in in English, the the term in English football is a a fox in the box. Uh, he's really good at that, uh, hanging out and making things happen. Uh, so I think that that you're going to see a lot of that. Um, I think that that you know one of the things that frustrates me about St. Louis is that you're really dependent on what kind of game some people have. Az Watts, I think, is just. The, that guy is electric as like a 10, like a 10 roll and attacking midfielder right behind me. He's really done a lot of great things, but he's also had some games that have just been uh, lackluster. Sometimes the guys out on the wing, uh, you know, uh, be it, uh, you know, uh, Vasilev or Ulm or, you know, they, they've got some guys out on the wings that sometimes they have great games and sometimes they just look lost out there. So, I I think that I don't think you're going to see anything all that that different from St. Louis against Houston. I don't think they're going to attack this defense that much differently. I think a lot of it's just going to be, you know, what what caliber of players show up that day yeah, how um, as to what they're going to be able to how do. Defensively, 
do you man mark a guy? I mean, they're all stars. Hector Herrera. I don't think there's any question about that. They're central midfielder, veteran, yeah, Mexican. I mean, this is this is a guy who got nearly triple digit appearances with Atletico Madrid, top six league, one of the big three, Porto. I mean, he is he is a beast, and he spreads it around to lots and lots of people. Do you have to man mark a guy like that, or what do you think St. Louis might do to try to limit his uh, abilities? Okay, well, I don't know that marking marking people is not City's St. Louis's uh, strong point. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Yeah, that that is not that is not the kind of defense they play. I think that you know uh, uh, you're going to see uh, you know physical but crafty play from Tim Parker and uh, Joachim Nilsson in, in at the center back position. Um, I will tell you though that I think that 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 uh, a Blom's performance is going to be really critical. Uh, he's kind of been playing more of a defensive midfielder type position. Uh, and, we're big uh, Blom believers here. So that's a good sign as far as I'm concerned. I'll tell you, guy can cover a lot of, a lot of real estate. Um, but. Oh, well, sure. If, I mean, he leads the league in interceptions. You've got to be quick like a bunny yeah, to do that. Yeah. Um, I think that that you know, it, it, but he's also a guy that has had some games where it's like he, I don't know if he just was gassed or if uh, he just had an off night. But there's some games where he's just not looked uh, very good at all. Um, you know, if I, this may be cliche today, but it's cliche to say. But if you know Blom, Leuven, and Klaus all have really, really good games, maybe we win three to two instead of losing. You know, that, that, that could very well be the case. That would be a, no matter how people are performing, that would be a higher scoring game than I would, I would pick up Houston, even at home. This is a, this is a team that's slightly below average uh, in offensive capability. I think if St. Louis are scoring, I think if St. Louis can get two goals, there's, there's no way they lose. In fact, I would expect a lower scoring game. I would like to think that as well. Um, that would definitely be my preference. However, if you look back at, you know, some of the recent games, um, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, that, that. Oh, they've, been, yeah, the, they've been against good competition too. They have not been playing slouches lately, Houston. Yeah. And, but I mean, I'm thinking of like, uh, the way that St. Louis did against uh, Kansas City, where oh, we lost. Yeah. I was just going to mention that on the other side. Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, or when lost to Orlando City, two one. I mean, I think that that there are there are times out there that that we struggle to score goals, and even with Roman Berkey, who is uh, undeniably uh, the best. Uh, keeper in all of MLS. <laughs> He's um, having none of Joe Willis out of Nashville. I still love it. Yeah, no, it, come on. It's it, that that's not even close. Um but I, you know, I think even with Berkey and goal, I think that that when you play the aggressive press that uh that St. Louis plays, you are asking a lot of your back line. And while Tim Parker is an all-star, Nielsen when he's healthy is really good. I've already expressed expressed my concern with our our, our left and right backs, um, but you know I I think that that it's I wouldn't it wouldn't put it I I it wouldn't I'm not putting it past Houston to somehow score two or three goals, 
Um, I hope I'm wrong, but well, sure. you, know, you called it as a, you called it as a one, three, I'm going to yep. be a little bit more optimistic and I'm going to say one, one that they stop a little bit of this Houston uh, momentum. It's like the roulette table. I normally don't believe in luck, but at some point it's got to come up black instead of red for them. Cause you just can't be that dominant for that long in this league. There's too much parity in major league soccer. And if St. St. Louis has as good or a better chance of stopping them, I think it's just about anybody. Uh, how do you feel a minute left about St. Louis winning the West your, their chances. Very good. Um, I mean, there are only six games left. Um, and, and I, and they already had, they're up a few points, uh, on the competition. I think it's, I think the, I can't see them finishing worse than second. I am in the same boat there. I think if anybody can catch them, it will be LAFC. I think they've been the more consistent team on the season, but I still like St. Louis to uh, squeak this out, if not better than we look forward to seeing the results for both of these matches. And hopefully St. Louis walks away from the week with an amazing six points. I will be at the LAFC game in St. Louis on the, on the 30th. Bring forth the bonus matches. You've gotten all the high stakes matches. Now it's time for the super fun bonus matches, which are high stakes sometimes in their own unusual ways. We shall find out shortly as we will with the first one, a Wednesday match between a first and a last place team that my daughter dramatically calls the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. Ah, uh, yes, a roadkill match from right here in the United States, or so it should be. Oftentimes we get results going the other way. Let's see what happens Wednesday in USL League One. That is one of the third tier leagues here in the United States, the lowest tier in our pyramid that is fully professional. Top six out of the 12 teams will make the domestic playoffs. Uh, most teams have about five matches left to play. The matchup we're going to look at, number 12 in last place, Que Lastima, Central Valley Fuego versus number one, North Carolina FC. Oh, the battle for the regular season title is hot. No such thing as low stakes here. They lead two teams by just one point. The top two are going to get by, so finishing in the top two is really important for your playoff seating. Meanwhile, while there's no relegation out of this league, uh, Central Valley, they would love to avoid the ignominy of finishing in last place. They trail number 11 Chattanooga by four points. Series between these two, North Carolina have had a slight edge. 3-0-2 has been their record. They won nil 2 on the road in California already this season. You can watch this one on ESPN Plus, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Central Valley Fuego, a very new club, as are a lot of, maybe most of the leagues, actually, or teams in this league. They were founded in 2020, and they play in Fresno, play their matches, in fact, at the field at Fresno State. Uh, this has been the only professional club in the, in the Fresno area since Fresno FC left for the USL Championship, and I don't believe they exist any longer, in 2019. Last year, the team finished in eighth place. This year, the problem has been the defense. This is a very high-scoring league, and they've only been just getting over one goal per match on average. Goal differential is second to worst, so their defense is a little bit better, but not by nearly enough to have dug them out of the hole they put themselves in. MVP on the year, I would say, is probably their scoring leader with eight on the year, Alex Seritos. He is from Slovenia, or at least represents internationally for Slovenia, 20 
22 years old. He actually came over here from the USL Championship. That's the second division, by the way, in the United States team, Rio Grande Valley. He's a good passer, a better dribbler, and an excellent tackler by success rate. Team's current form, however, no success rate to be found here. Eight match win, or excuse me, nine match winless streak. <laughs> we want to make sure that we get that ninth one in there. Now, a little, we always look for just a sliver of hope that these teams might be able to hang their hat on. They have managed draws in three of their last four, and they are at home. But on the flip side, they also haven't kept a clean sheet since their opening match of the season, 26 matches ago between league play and the Cup. And now at the happy end of the table, North Carolina playing out of Cary, which is a suburb of Raleigh. Uh, enjoy your stay in League One, fellas. You are going back to the USL Championship. This will be their second time playing in a second division here in the States. They have not made a League One playoff appearance, though, since 2019. And last year, they finished in just 11th place. So clearly it's not purely on merit by which they're getting to move up. Got a feeling it's all about that attendance, what kind of stadium deal they have. And they're uh, pretty well balanced on the year. They've got the second best goal differential. They're not my pick to win, but I think they are going to get a bye straight into the semifinals. They've got a top three offense getting over one and three quarters goals per match. Defense is nearly as good. Second best league scorer is theirs to boast of. He's got 14 on the air, and that is Olex Bounty Anderson. We've talked about him before, but I only just recently learned his nickname. His proficiency in scoring has led to that awesome nickname. He plays uh, reps internationally for St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and unlike a lot of players who are U.S. born but have ties there, he is actually born there. Uh, he played for Seattle, the Sounders, by the way, in 2016, so if that name rings a bell and Olex is an original enough name that it should, that is why. I think their MVP on the year, though, has been their Brazilian left-winger Rafael Mensigan. 11 goals plus 4 assists, and he tracks back reasonably well on defense as well. Covers a lot of ground. He played a couple years for Memphis 901, which is up in the USL Championship. Only made a dozen or so appearances for them, though. Uh, team's current form, 2-0-3. They have been uh, winning, losing every other match. So according to this, they're due for a win. But I think we're in for a shootout and an entertaining one, no matter which way it goes. They, too, have had trouble keeping clean sheets. They have only had one since late July. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. <laughs> Equidistant from the top and bottom of their leagues, glory or relegation, eh, doesn't matter. We still celebrate them in song. It's the most meaningless match in the world, and we have selected a Thursday match from the Liga Nacional of Honduras. Yes, we visited them last week when we had our route of the week. Now two teams from the middle, although it might not be completely meaningless. I'll get into that in just a moment. Now, First about the league. This is the third-ranked league in all of CONCACAF, well behind the United States and Mexico, but they are the best of the rest right now. The two stage winners, Apatura and Clausura, plus the next best two in the year's aggregate table, will qualify for next year's Central American Cup, which is a feeder for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. There is no relegation, I don't believe, this year out of this particular league. Now, the top six are going to make the domestic playoffs, or a little bit less than halfway through the Apatura or opening stage, by the way. Here's what I'm uncertain of if it's the regular season winners or the playoff 
winners who actually get to represent the team as the champions from each of the two stages. I looked at the last couple of the years and the teams were always the same and so that we're winning the playoffs and the regular season, so I'm not completely certain. I suspect it's the playoff champions, in which case, if one of these teams can get into or remain in the top six, maybe not so meaningless after all. But they're in the middle of the table, so let's talk about number seven, Lobos UPNFM. They're playing host to number six, CD Marathon. Marathon, they currently lead the Lobos by two points. They trail number one, Olympia, by four points. And by the way, worth noting that uh, Marathon also have a match in hand, so that gap could really widen before long. Meanwhile, Lobos, they lead number 10 last place, CD Victoria, that we talked about last week, by three points. Series between these two has been all marathon in recent seasons. 11-9-2 is their record. They are the smart bet, and we will talk about the underdogs first, pun intended, the Lobos, playing out of the capital city of Tegucigalpa. Uh, the full name that UPNFM, Universidad Pedagogica uh, Nacional Francisco Morazan. They were uh, founded in 2010, the team, not the university, at least I don't think so. Uh, when the second division was restructured a few years ago, uh, well, in 2010, in fact, the Division I reserve teams had to withdraw. And so that created a number of openings, and that, by coincidence, was when uh, the Lobos were getting formed, and so they were able to step in and not have to wait out any length of time and earn their way up. And this, for many years, has been a great loan spot for other teams' top flights who wanted their players uh, to get a university degree. So places like Olympia will send their uh, teens or just out of their teens players here. But they've had some success of their own. They won the second division in 2016-17. That's the level at which they got to start. 2022-23, Clausura, the last completed stage, they finished in sixth place. So pretty meaningless then as now. The offense isn't too meaningless. They're pretty high scoring for this particular league. But the defense has been a bit woeful. They're in the uh, bottom nine, uh, giving up a full two games, uh, two goals per match on average. I think that this team will go down before they go up, just because they tend to be so young. One of the exceptions, though, is their top 10 scorer with three on the stage, Eric Andino, homegrown 34-year-old attacker. Team's current form, 0-1-3 in their last four, and a six and mighty, mighty 13 goal differential. Yeah, they've been giving up three goals per match over that stretch. And now Marathon, they play out of San Pedro Sula. That is the country's primary industrial center and the third largest one in the city, about a metro area of a million and a half. This is one of the country's quote-unquote big four clubs historically. They're second only to Olympia in success and support. Until seven, uh, 2016, rather, they were also the murderer capital of the world. Finally got taken over by Caracas. Nine league titles they have won. 2018, Clausura was the last one. 2009-2010 CONCACAF Champions Cup. They got all the way to the quarterfinals. That's tied for the best they've ever done. Their last appearance was two years ago, 2021. They lost in the round of 16 to Seattle. They are known as the Green Belly. Sometimes it has to do with leather working in the area. In this particular case, might just be due to the color on their shirts. 
2022-23 Clausura stage, they finished in fourth place. With the, uh, this year, so far, they have a perfectly meaningless 3-1-3 and record. Uh, they are tied for worst on offense, getting only a goal per match, and yet in the top three for defense. Yes, we have a team playing small ball. Hate it when that happens. So they're probably going to stay right about where they are in the middle. They don't have anybody on their team with more than two goals, so I don't even need I don't need, they're all equally meaningless to me, as is their most recent stretch of three games in which they are one, one, and one. And now we reach the two end of our podcast road, the 13th and final match appropriately, one that will fill you with ire and consternation for these two sad sack bottom feeding clubs. Welcome to the fresh hell. That is the match of Disappointed! Yes, we have hand selected. Two teams by Smell and Smell Alone, a Tuesday match from the English Championship. That is the second tier over in Europe, and yet is considered to be probably a top 10-15 league overall. No thanks to these two stink bombs. The bottom three teams will get relegated down to the lower division at the end of the year. It's very early in the season, but that is no excuse. We don't accept any of them. For number 23, Sheffield Wednesday, they're playing host to number 24, last place, Middlesbrough. These are two of the three still winless Cubs in the league right now. Sheffield Wednesday lead Middlesbrough by three on goal differential. They both trail number 21, Rotherham United. That would be the point of safety uh, by three points. For some reason of the six matches on this particular weekday, the only one that's going to be televised here in the States is going to be this one. I think that's glorious. They want us, they're daring us to avert our eyes. Three o'clock in the afternoon, ESPN Plus. First, the Owls of Sheffield Wednesday. I can't decide, I couldn't decide if I loved or hated their club, and maybe it's because they're such a lousy football team, but I finally came up on the end of hating their crest. That The owl on there that is their nickname has these very creepy orange, vertically elongated eyes that almost circle all the way around from being awful to being great again, but they don't quite get there for me. This is the second oldest club in the nation at 156 years old. Sheffield, by the way, is in the north central part of the country and known as Steel City. So think of this as Pittsburgh. Uh, they've won three Division I titles in the past, long before it was called the Premier League. Uh, Premier League. Last time was 1929-1930. Their most recent league trophy was the 1958-59 Division II, once again, long before it was called the Championship. Last year, they finished in third place in League One and got promoted up to this league. So far, it's looking like they have bitten off far more than they can chew, and they are welcome to choke on it. They have got tied for the worst offense and defense, worst goal differential by a factor of 50%. The problem has been up front with the offense most egregiously. They're strikers. Uh, they've got Ashley Fletcher trying to do things up there. He's on loan from Watford. Uh, they may not want him back even. Uh, veteran Lee Gregory, Michael Smith. I believe they've all been trying to fill in for a guy who I assume was their preferred starter, Malik Wilkes. I know that he is supposed to return from injury later this month, but none of these three players has been able to get anything done up front. Team's current form, well, two matches ago, they got their only point in the season with a nil-nil draw at number 10, Leeds. 
And now Middlesbrough. Uh, that town, about 150,000, is in the north, northeast part of the country. Port used to be really big for steel and for shipbuilding. Those industries are a little bit more historical now for them, and a lot more uh, modern technology, digital technology production has moved in there. They have a cute little nickname. Uh, other players or other fans used to call this team the Smuggles because of all the air quality problems. But uh, in a case of what is known linguistically as seizure, they have now adopted it as their own and like to uh, call themselves Smuggles on tour and all that. Uh, the crest is another weird one. It's the second one we've had as many weeks where it looks like the heraldic lion is either on fire or being electrocuted. Very strange shaping. Uh, a couple cool things about this club. They've got one of the highest percentages in England, maybe all of Europe, for female season ticket holders, 20%. Also locally born ticket holders, 80%. Those are both very high marks. 2004, they won the League Cup, which is a tertiary uh cup of in terms of importance it's the only major trophy they've ever won um they have won four division two titles those are not considered quote-unquote major trophies they most recently had one of those in 1994-1995 they have made two now uh two now europa league appearances in the mid-2000s just before it started getting called the europa league uh they lost in one of those in the final two the aforementioned team sevilla Last year, they finished in fourth place in this league, so they made the promotion playoffs, couldn't quite get promoted up to the Premier League, and now they don't seem like they even belong here in the second division. Offense, that's been the major problem. They are the other team that is tied for worst in that regard. The defense is a little bit better, but still well below average, and they've got a bottom three goal differential. I do expect this team to go down as things stand. Their most disappointing player has been Seni, S-E-N-Y, Dieng from Senegal, their goalkeeper, no clean sheets on the season. And yes, he's been their starter, I believe, in all their matches. And this is a guy who uh, made his first international appearance for his home country all the way back at the age of 18. He's made three other appearances since then. So clearly he's been on somebody's radar, but no proof of as to the why this year. Team's current form, they have lost two straight, and as we bid them adieu, we do so with no hearty wishes of good luck or good fortune, but rather we shooed them away, away with you in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo. boo. And that's a wrap. This has been episode 153 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Thank you very much to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. To my daughter, co-host, and the real star of this show for everything she does, my daughter. Mwah, thank you so much. I still love doing the show with you. And thank you for finding us. We appreciate that. We hope you've enjoyed it. And then you'll consider passing us along to your footy-minded friends. Until we do it again in a few days, have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care.